0: greetings everyone um and (laughs)
1: flip crap (laughs) to to the early bird spoilers podcast yeah the first episode we're actually doing what the podcast was about in the first place hey which is spoiling our own works i mean we we already have spoiled a ton of stuff but this is the first (laughs) one where it's explicitly just spoiling literally everything about one of our projects in this episode it's going to be mine and maybe mine we'll, we'll see we'll see how long it gets
0: uh, yeah um i you know what i did we even introduce ourselves in
1: the first episode we did not <laughs> you said <laughs> oh you want to go by clifton and i was like i don't know <laughs> and then you said well i'll be phoenix
0: well yeah i mean that's <laughs> hello everybody i'm nocturnal phoenix <laughs>
1: And I'm a friend, <laughs> son of a gun. Have... Am, I... <laughs> Am I just gonna have to call you friend the whole time? No, no, no. Uh, I just don't have online presence, so <coughs> we, we talked about dang it. just like flamingo because it's early birds, yeah. so we gotta both be birds. And flamingos are goaded, so. I tried so hard to keep that cough down and get it out beforehand.
0: <laughs> 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 I haven't been coughing all day. Why now? It's the curse. Mm -hmm. no seriously the recording curse is so real i i believe you (laughs) (laughs) it's so real uh, how do you interpret that how you will like determine what that recording curse is it's real yeah um usually it's probably a
1: psychological thing but it's real (laughs) usually i never lose track of what i'm talking about i never go on long tangents i always speak super eloquently and (laughs) when the when it's just the mic it's when the mic comes up i i'm like this and not you know the perfect orator (laughs) these are all facts don't don't look into it Okay. I want to say can confirm, but at the same time... You (laughs) cannot confirm. If anything, I'm almost, like, I think I've been way more focused doing this (laughs) than I am just talking to you. I guess it's because we're usually, like, playing a game or something. Uh, Yeah, that's true. Easily distracted. What is that hitbox? (laughs) (laughs)
0: Uh, But yeah, welcome back to the podcast where he actually has a plan and I am going to... uh, improvise the crap out of this
1: yeah so i actually have like a quarter page of notes (laughs) (laughs) i guess this is like a quarter page um mostly just so i don't ramble although i probably am going to anyway i'm probably gonna get off topic once and then do all of my notes out of order, but, like, a little bit of each. And I'm going to realize I already talked about, like, 20 different things that I was trying to save. And so then it's just going to be a mess from there. But, you know, life is messy. And that's why I'm just deciding to embrace the mess ahead of time. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So something I've noticed is you seem to remember way more <laughs> <laughs> you seem to remember way more (laughs) about like where you got ideas from and when you got the ideas from yes because i always forget and so i'm gonna ask do you remember when i first started talking about this story which is the only book i've ever finished and um, a draft of anyway a draft of i've done a draft and a lot of work on a second draft but i haven't finished the second draft and it's i think two i think three will do it in terms of how many drafts i'm gonna need the second really? one yeah the second one i've definitely fleshed out my ideas way better than they were in the first one i have fleshed out the world more everything's kind of more cohesive you changed like half the story from when you told me (laughs) in the first draft it's not half it's like half of the important (laughs) thing got changed (laughs) but it's just because i came up with so many ideas for the rest of the series that i thought you know this would be a much better like emotional through line for this character or thematically it would be much more significant and it would just be cooler in general. It's my three main things. But if I remember back to our when did this all happen, it was 2019.
0: I honestly can't give you a date. So. Okay. Man. I, I can remember the circumstances of when you told me, but I can't remember that much. Honestly, I I want to say it might have been like two thousand
1: eighteen. Really, that far back?
0: Yeah, because let's think. Because I remember when you were telling me, I'm pretty sure it was summer, and I'm pretty sure I knew about that longer than right before I went on my mission. So.
1: Okay. Because I remember. I could be
0: wrong. I could be wrong.
1: Yeah, I was thinking like is definitely before your mission. But I don't remember it being like an impending thing or even like a thing at all at the time. So I was like, it can't have been like right before. But I guess 2019 would be right before. So it probably was 2018. So late 2018, early 2019, I don't remember summer at all.
0: I, Um, I specifically include that detail because I remember we were sitting on my couch upstairs and it always seemed light out no matter how long we talked that's <laughs> true
1: <laughs> yeah uh, no you're right it was definitely light outside so that means it was probably at least not winter <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which i cannot wait for it to not be winter anymore to be honest i'm cool with it but yeah um i went to this project from my other project which we'll talk about eventually, but it's like the one I'm most excited for. Or I have been excited for it so long that it's hard to say if I'm still the most excited for. But we'll definitely talk about it at some point.
0: Uh, In terms of overall accumulated excitement.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've, I've told a bunch of people about it, a bunch of friends, and they all think it's really cool too. So I'm still excited about it. But it's definitely a more of like a background thing. Like I'm not planning on writing that one anytime soon. What is it background sad? No. <laughs> um we have what was I gonna say? I don't know, you're the one with the notes. <laughs> I was gonna say Oh, it was it's something I'm excited to write about, but I don't think I'm ready kind of deal. And I probably will never feel like I'm ready. So eventually I'll just get bored and sick of waiting and I'll have thought about it so much that I'll finally have like a solid vision for it and I'll just write it. And hopefully it'll write quickly. I'm thinking it might because I have thought about it a lot. <laughs> and that usually helps me write fast is if I've thought about something. So I wanted something new to work on. Um, yeah, I wanted something new to work on. And I came up with this idea I've mentioned in a different episode. Um, I don't want to say the second episode. The second one that got recorded.
0: <laughs> I've been labeling them in my computer <laughs> as episode one and two. So Okay,
1: they'll probably come out like that then. But It makes I've, it easier for yeah, me. Yeah, I've talked about this briefly. Um, the main... Idea was yoinked directly from the Kingdom Hearts mobile spinoff games <laughs> that are basically like the prequels to the Kingdom Hearts universe of like the well, I won't, I don't want to say the earliest like Keyblade wielders. For those of you familiar with Kingdom Hearts, they're basically Is anyone truly familiar. They're basically with Jedi. Hearts? We'll just go with that. <laughs> they have magic weapons. And they have, like, a special way of believing in things, and they fight evil. Do they wear robes? Uh, some of them do, in fact, wear robes. <laughs> <laughs> the masters, you could say. But I'll just briefly summarize what happens in the game. Is, um, In the actual franchise, not this prequel, there's, like, only a few Keyblade wielders left. But they're, they talk about this Keyblade War from the past, and there's a specific place you go in some of the games called like, the Keyblade Graveyard, where there's just tens of thousands of Keyblades stuck, stuck down in the dirt from a big war that happened in the past. And so this is like how that came to pass. And the main things that were inspiration for me was there's these four people called the... Or not four of them, there's more than four... They're called the Foretellers, though. There's four. How many, four are, how many are there? There's six foretellers. But one of them leaves early and he's not part of like their group. So there's technically like five of them. And they all five and a half. Yeah, they lead different factions of Keyblade wielders and they all have one master who's called the Master of Masters. Creative.
0: Yes. <laughs> which
1: I think originally was like my intention like i just had called them that at the beginning one of the characters but he's like pulling the strings he's got knowledge of the future he writes a book about the future and he assigns them all like special roles in their group and he tells them hey your mission is to stop this war from happening but also you literally can't stop it from happening and by your actions you are going to cause it
0: that's anyway bye i'm
1: gonna (laughs) peace out and literally never be seen again in the franchise because Nomura is evil and likes throwing strings all over the place. That's the writer for the story. Um, but I was just so enthralled by these, these characters interactions of like, they really, they have known each other for a long time is kind of how it's implied in the story is that they like trained together under this Master of Masters. And they all have different specialties. Like there's one guy who's definitely like the strongest fighter and he thinks he should be in charge. But then there's like a leader who's more pragmatic, but he's also kind of a recluse where he likes to do things on his own. So it's almost like the Master of Masters has given them all roles designed to antagonize them and like pit them against each other, which kind of adds to this whole idea of like, oh you guys are supposed to prevent the war, but secretly he knows that they can't. And then he's like keeping information from some of them. Like one of them he writes a book for all of them that tells them about the future and everything that's gonna happen. But he Book of Clear Sight. He includes (laughs) Yeah, it's the (laughs) book of Clear sight. More Wings of Fire references. But um he includes one extra page in one of their books that talks about a traitor amongst the foretellers. So that guy's job is to find the traitor I can see in your eyes <laughs> that you're realizing where some of. <laughs> I've directly yoinked some of these. Plot oh, threads. I've been realizing <laughs> this this whole time now. <laughs> yes. So I originally thought, hey, that would be cool to do something like that. Just, I really like their character interactions of how they're all good at different things and how they're all. They all have like a secret mission, I guess, and like secret information that the others don't. And they all have their own goals, as well as, like, this main goal that they're destined to fail at. And the original story, gonna be honest, almost beat for beat, their character arcs, with a lot of my characters, were similar. I mean, the characters were different. They had, like, a few similarities, but that's just kind of gonna be inevitable, because... We're comparing five characters to four other characters, so they're gonna have similarities. They're not gonna be like completely unique from each other. But their roles were shuffled around a bit, and their dynamic was shifted. So it was still, I would say, like an original idea, just heavily inspired. <laughs> I was gonna say, the longer you talk, the less <laughs> yeah. impressive it sounds. <laughs> but I've changed it a bunch since then, right? It's yeah, not oh, yeah. nearly as
0: similar. Uh, but, yeah, you. Yeah, the, the draft I read was absolutely nothing like I envisioned <laughs> when you told me.
1: Yeah, it it changed a lot when I actually got to writing it. Um, I still had this kind of these characters in mind, but I was less fresh on the details. Uh, like I hadn't experienced the story firsthand as recently, so. I, yeah, we're gonna get to. We're going to go through the characters now. I'm going to talk about my master of masters, um, Bobo. <laughs> 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 I literally can't remember his actual name. He has one. I, it starts I with an R. <laughs> no, Wrong story. It starts with an R. He has a name, but I use it only a couple times because he goes by different names now. I don't think you've ever told me. so. He goes by Darius and Rylan which is a name I use a lot because I think it's really cool. <laughs> There's always, like, a Darius in every fantasy story I've ever conceived. At <laughs> least <laughs> it's not Jack. It's not Jack Jackson or whatever. <laughs> but he's the master of masters in this situation. Um, The appeal of the master of masters in Kingdom Hearts is that he's so unknowable. Like, you don't know his motives. Is he good? Is he bad? He's, like, really funny he like got a good sense of humor he's not like some mysterious wizard type as much as he's like like i guess like the joker almost but not really that's a, no never mind banish that, like that banish that comparison from your mind no he's <laughs> like that
0: homeless guy you run into on the street that everyone just <laughs> loves and just laughs with <laughs> but you have is. no idea <laughs> anything yeah
1: about he, him. he i don't even want to say he speaks in riddles he's just weird and he doesn't make a lot of sense but he knows everything that's going on and i didn't think i could it's not that i didn't want to replicate that i just didn't think i could and so bo was not exactly like that he's um we know a lot more about him than we do about the master of masters or obviously i know more about him <laughs> i know more about him but you now, you're gonna know more about him <laughs> but his deal is he is immortal and, like, thousands of years ago, he and his twin sister were living through the apocalypse, essentially. There was this, like, demonic being that caused death just to everything around it. It brought plagues and sicknesses. Brugada. Yes, the Brugada. Um, well, that's what they called it. It has a different name. It's got, everything's got multiple names, right? I don't even remember. I remember you telling me the original <laughs> name but
0: I don't remember. I what don't it was. either.
1: It's these things are only included once. I have the name stored somewhere but I don't have it off the top of my head, which it's not important. But the like magic powerful you the what am I trying to say? The leaders I guess at the time were like we need to take this thing out cuz it just keeps traveling around and like killing off all of our crops it's killing people like we can avoid it cuz it's slow but like it's causing damage to the land and you know what who's going to stop it like it doesn't stop ever it just keeps going and going and going so we need to fight it somehow so they found people who were resistant to the powers they could um they they wouldn't die like immediately getting close to it like it still has an effect on them but they were resistant to this insta- instant death or illness going on and um, bobo <laughs> i'll explain it later it'll make perfect <laughs> sense bobo and his sister um they were two of them people who were like resistant to this and the sister was like the most promising right she was their like best chance and they were pretty young at the time So they were kind of sent all at once to, like, this is our last chance. These are all the people we found. We were going to arm them with, like, the best weapons or whatever we have. We trained them, etc. And so they all go to fight it. It goes badly. The details are all vague because Bobo doesn't like to talk about it. And essentially the sister ends up killing this thing and dying in the process. And Bobo's the last... Or no, he wasn't the last one. There was only a few people left alive. And this thing is like kind of an embodiment of part of the magic. And by effect, it's essentially immortal. It can live forever. And so as it dies, it doesn't die necessarily. It kind of shatters, right? This is it. I'm explaining it badly, but this isn't exact like a new concept, like a weird thing that I've come up with. Lots of, mostly games actually do this of like, they don't die; they break into little pieces, and so isn't that just called a Horcrux? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, kind of. I mean, it it does the same thing as a Horcrux. (laughs) So a shard of this uh, Brugada gets lodged in Bobo, and it's kind of dormant. Like, it doesn't give him insta-kill powers or anything, but it does extend his life significantly and the lives of a few others who... uh, This might all just be background. I haven't decided if I want to include any more of these immortal people caused by killing this Brugada in the story, but they also gain immortality. And so he lives for, you know, 100 years. He's immortal. He's not aging, really. He's just going through stuff. And then he's kind of, eventually, he's living a few more hundred years. He's living around people, watching them live, grow up, and die in the span of what's becoming shorter and shorter, right? Because the longer you live, the shorter years are in respect to your life. When you're 10 and you turn 11, then the last year was, you know... That's not a good fraction. One eleventh of your life. <laughs> yeah. But when you're a hundred, it's much smaller fraction of your life. And so it's compounding more and more with him. And then one day he has this realization that the first person he ever fell in love with and, like, had raised a family with, he doesn't remember their name anymore. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't remember, like, anything about them anymore. And he's kind of been staying away from relationships for the past you know two three hundred years but he realizes that he's like not a human being anymore really he's kind of he looks like one he has the same physiology and brain as one he's just immortal and he doesn't age he doesn't get sick really he doesn't suffer like he has he heals better so he's not like a scarred mess But he realizes that maybe he should, like, not be around people anymore because he thinks of himself as, like, a monster, so he secludes himself. I know plenty of songs that talk about things like that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And so he lives, you know, the timeline's fuzzy, but, you know, another thousand years or something all alone. And he has another epiphany when he sees, like, a family lost or something and he sees how hard they're like lost in the mountains and they're freezing to death and he sees how hard the parents are struggling to like keep their son warm and they all would die right because he's too afraid to approach them but he kind of remembers what it was like to raise a family and he thinks about it and he realizes that i was wrong and now i'm even less of a human than i was before and i want to go back i want to try again so he decides that he's going to raise kids he's not going to fall in love again like romantically so he's going to just raise kids on his own and he's going to try and remember what it was like and actually the first thing i don't know if you remember for the longest time at the top of the google doc there was like an italicized quote from him that was the very first thing i ever wrote i was trying to get into his head a little bit
0: ever wrote or wrote for this yeah
1: i think that should be clarified you (laughs) never wrote your name (laughs) never written anything before it for this book yeah the first thing ever included and so that's him he's kind of trying again he's very he's a strange guy but like he's interacted it wasn't like a snap decision of oh i'm going to have like i'm gonna go raise kids and then like the next week he went out and found some orphans to take care of it was quick for him but like 50 to 60 years in real life of so he's slowly started integrating himself back with humanity so he's weird he's like he's weird around his kids as like a parent but not necessarily weird around people like he knows how to act he knows like how to be presented as all these different things because he's lived all these different lives that he can pull from so he knows how to be like a beggar and he knows how to be like a king essentially the whole spectrum so he's very socially adept but not like he's still figuring it out again is what i'm trying to say so that's bobo but this story is not told from his perspective it's told from the perspective of his kids um he has four kids that he adopts (laughs) through questionable methods (laughs) some of them through very questionable methods you've never told me how he gets
0: them (laughs) like the most i have is that flashback you wrote of him (laughs) meeting cecily and it's yeah, there's no context to it, it's just like, hey, little one. Yeah. <laughs> and she's like, What's yeah. Up?
1: So yeah, he has four kids he's raising, all I mean I don't wanna say all orphans, but that's the idea. That's what they think, right? They don't they don't know that he's possibly taken them away um without asking. <laughs> yeah.
0: Take me away. But Cecily, at least,
1: who's the perspective character of this first book, she was an actual orphan. So, <clears throat> there are four kids. Um, they're all about the same age, but they're kind of like, there's like an oldest to youngest based on when they were added to the family, in which case the order would be Cecily is the oldest. Then Annabelle selka and then orion at the end and they're all fantasy names so the first three are girls and the last one's a boy yeah (laughs) just in case you couldn't tell so the first book is told from cecily's perspective and she is um how do you describe characters briefly yeah um cecily how would you describe cecily she's that one (laughs) yeah
0: She is the stubborn,
1: independent... True. Um, do things my way kind of person. <laughs> she is very my way or the highway. Yeah, so she's the most... Um, and most physical. Yes, the most physically aggressive and just aggressive in general of the four. She's
0: fiery that's the best word overall
1: (laughs) she does like doing her things her own way but she doesn't necessarily force her ideals on others she's very willing to just you know this is how i'm gonna do it you guys i like you should do it this way too but if you don't i don't care and i'll just do it my own way on my own kind of deal she leads through being stubborn (laughs) and (laughs) reckless but she's not like an idiot or anything and she's not like cruel she likes you know she likes to mess with her siblings especially Orion they have a, a bit of a sibling rivalry is the oldest and the youngest even though they're about the same age i just think of them as the oldest and the youngest cuz they've kind of ordered themselves that way almost based on like how they were raised by Bobo but the beginning of the Story is just them living their life. Um, with Bobo, he's built them a house in like a really small town. Just a small town girl. <laughs> living in <a> world. <laughs> All right, yeah.
0: Before you say anything else, I feel like you're going to forget because you promised to mention why he's called Bobo.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so he's called Bobo because he's gone by so many names. when he first picks up Cecily when she's still very young, I think like five or six years old, she is like, what's your name? Like, what am I going to call you? Because like she remembers her parents at this point. And so she's like, you're not my, you're not my dad, but like, so what do I call you? Do I call you dad? Is that weird? And so he's like, call me whatever you want. And so she comes up with his name, which is why he has a baby name, because a baby came up with it. And they just stick with it. Like by when they get older they think it's funny that like he's Bobo. Or that's just what is what he's what he's called. So they don't she doesn't Cecily in particular doesn't think of him in terms of like dad. She thinks of him as like a father, but she never really got to that point of like, oh, you're my dad. You're my dad. Boogie, woogie woogie. <laughs> <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah, I got distracted by memes. I got distracted by me. I don't even know what the heck you were talking about. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a vine. All right. So that's Cecily and they kind of just chilling at home.
0: And And then Bobo decided to go get milk.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Don't say it like that. That's horrible. Yeah. So the early book is just them living at home. Um, We introduce Orion. I think you should go through what the other characters are like briefly. I don't want to get too into it because I realize we're already... Like, 30 minutes in. Holy crap. I feel like, <laughs> I'm not I feel like we just started. <laughs> I'm not close. <laughs> oh, this is going to be bad when I go then. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not close at all. But, um... Annabelle is, like, you know, the smart one. She's... Definitely... She likes reading a lot, and she has a very good memory. She's also... Um... very (laughs) like scathing i guess would be a good word sardonic i'm trying to pick words that don't paint her in a bad light because she's my favorite (laughs) Um, definition of sardonic (laughs) yeah like sarcastic and like like a biting sarcasm right Uh, yeah where she's not afraid to like offend people i guess including her siblings if she (gasps) thinks they're being dumb (laughs) sardonic grimly mocking or cynical yes she's very much cynical um but she's you know they they have good they're they all love each other i just really like writing i like writing siblings i've realized every book i write or i think of or i brainstorm has like strong sibling relationships and i think it's because i'm scared to write friendships because then everyone will think including me that they're like a couple <laughs> but Yo, if they're siblings I just that's then i like, don't have that issue
0: <laughs> that's like the opposite of me i've the first story i ever came up with that's i just realized that's the only one with like any sibling relationship <laughs> in if you don't count Visser who i mean his, his brother's dead but continue <laughs>
1: Yeah, so I have a fixation on family. Feel free to speculate about my personal life with my family in the comments. Give us interaction. <laughs> <laughs> Are they loving and wonderful or horrible and abusive? You decide. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I think the fact that I can make that joke makes it pretty obvious. <laughs> anyway... Uh, anyway, counter, by the way. <laughs> <laughs>
0: ding, ding, ding. <laughs> ding, ding, ding.
1: Where was I? Oh, Annabelle, yeah. I'm just gonna describe them how I think of them, which is usually pretty unflattering, because <laughs> they're still growing. But Selka is, she's, like, a the most, I guess, like, girly girl of them all, but then, even then, it's like, medieval times. <laughs> so, <laughs> medieval how girly times, girl can girly you really girl. get? She's very um emotionally in touch with herself. She is the first character of the bunch who would like cry openly. She cares a lot about what other people think about her, which is one of her bigger flaws. She cares way too much about what other people think about her. Um she wants to be a peacemaker. To an annoying extent. And... She's the only one of the four... That I could reasonably see... Giving like a romantic partner to. (laughs) (laughs) Amen. I mean... Like I'm not giving a romantic partner to... But giving like a romance to. Like that I actually write about. Other than just... Oh! Like... You know... They're a thing now. (laughs) Like off... (laughs) page you know in between books or something but i still haven't decided on that i probably it'll probably be like elements but i'm not gonna have like a full-fledged romance for her she's gonna be dealing with other things in her own book (laughs) and that's kind of the idea is that there's gonna be four books one for each of the children going throughout their lives over the course of like 30 years and then skipping Ahead a few thousand years. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> because I can do whatever I want. So, that's... Um, oh, And Selka is also, like, you know, daddy's special girl, kind of. I mean... Mm, um, let's see... I think Cecily actually is Bobo's favorite, <laughs> but Selka definitely is like the flower like the. Flo- yeah, the flower is a good way to put it of like I need you are important and I need to protect you at all costs. And then we have the runt Orion, who is, as I've mentioned before, the same age as the others, but he is definitely the runt of <laughs> the litter. <laughs> He's the last person to speak up when they're all trying to decide what to do. He's um, he's not shy, more like, or he's more like, um, private, I guess would be a good way to put it. Where he has feelings, and I want to, I made him close to Cecily in particular, in the, f- as, for a reason, essentially because cecily's the first protagonist so we we want i wanted to establish that orion's not like super closed off because cecily gets to see more of his like oh this is how i'm actually feeling and this is like what i actually think we should do like these more personal moments with orion before we move on to book two which is gonna be Selka, who Not that he doesn't show that side to her, just she's paying less attention. Mm -hmm. (laughs) She, Not that she doesn't care, she just has other things she's thinking about, namely herself and how she's feeling. She's definitely the most selfish of the group. But Ryan's a bit of a downer, to be honest. (laughs) I would not hang out with him. (laughs) (laughs) a he's a downer, and he has his reasons for being a downer, which... Maybe we'll get into later. Maybe we'll get into in, like, a year or never. (laughs) But he's got his reasons. You know the reasons. I know the (laughs) reasons. Yeah. So, originally, they all had their, like, special quests, right? Like, we had the milk joke earlier. But (laughs) they're living their happy lives, and Bobo has started having visions of the end of the world because newsflash the brugada the thing that killed everything from earlier that he and, that his sister killed uh was just like a minion essentially to the greater forces of order in the universe which i'm gonna get into later because i really love how it got implemented because i my science brain is so happy <laughs> <laughs> that i got to have some weird science justification but essentially order is like the peacekeeper of the universe as a whole, and it's portrayed as a giant serpent. Think of you. You think giant, and you're not thinking giant enough. Think his eyeballs are the size of stars. <laughs> He's very big and very powerful, and you know, in like the what's the word? Eldritch is that the word? The the like Cthulhu stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Eldritch. Basically that level of power and universe control where he is unstoppable within the story he is not you can't stop him he's ageless he's in charge of maintaining the entire universe (laughs) which he does through the help of thousands of minions and one of those was the brugada and he sent it to the planet which we'll get into later why but basically it's as a way to c- like control it right he wants to keep order in the universe there's a magic system that can corrupt in a way that is the exact opposite of order it's causes chaos yeah <laughs> we love chaos <laughs> on the early early bird spoilers podcast <laughs> to big fans of chaos But essentially, it was just a minion, and, you know, it's kind of unprecedented for one of these minions to get killed in the way that it did. So he's like, okay, I'm going to send another one that's, like, older and more powerful, essentially. So he sends another one, and they have, like, this sibling bond. Oh, oh, I'm doing it wrong, because I changed it recently. Where he sent them both at the same time, both of these minions...
0: Yep, you, you've already lost me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We're yeah, beyond man. my understanding
1: Anyway, currently. We'll not get into the details that I've changed. But he sent another one. This one's called the Noctemnia, which is important, so do remember that. Heck because it's the yeah. main antagonist of this first book. And it is a very old being. And it's kind of... Accidentally a foil. Which is... Me being bad at writing, I accidentally write foils. I don't intentionally write them. But it's accidentally a foil to Bobo in that it's still, like, dissociated. But even further, like, it's kind of what Bobo would have been if he had just stayed separate from everything. And it has, like, no communication skills. It doesn't remember anything. It doesn't remember who it is. So it's very confused. But by it being... Back in action kind of um the brugada piece of it in bobo is kind of reacting to that and like giving him these nightmares about the world ending and so he's freaked out by that and he goes to get the milk <laughs> <laughs> and he leaves his children they're like how old were they they're like 14 i was like
0: i want to say like 13 yeah
1: 13 14 they're still really young um more socially acceptable in this culture to leave your children for (laughs) a long period of time (laughs) i mean it's still messed up obviously and they think it's messed up and the people in the town think it's messed up but they're able to take care of themselves because they've been farming and hunting with him since they were younger So they can take care of themselves and they've got help from the townsfolk because it's a small community and they all really like Bobo because he's very charismatic and also rich (laughs) and very talented. Which he Uh, neglected (laughs) to mention the rich part of the children. (laughs) (laughs) You did neglect to mention the rich part of the children. They still live in like a nicer house than the rest of the village, which is something I did on accident. But it's mostly just because Bobo's like a master woodsman and... He doesn't have to worry about like how long does it take to make a house. He can just spend five years building a house and it's fine. It doesn't matter <laughs> to him at all. Because he's immortal. <laughs> In case you <laughs> forgot. Um, man. I'm going on little tangents instead of big sweeping ones, which is progress. <laughs> but I... Space where I was. Where was I? Bobo went to get the milk. (laughs) He went to get the milk, so he leaves them, and they're thinking. Um, he kind of leaves, and he there's like this emotional moment where he leaves, and he's like, "Hey, I'm gonna be back soon. Like, don't worry, I won't be gone for long." But they're still kids, so they're all crying, and he tells Cecily in particular, like, "Hey, I'm gonna be gone. I'll be back, you know, within the year," but you're in charge while I'm gone is essentially what he says. And she takes it to heart and he's gone. He's gone for a year. He's gone for two years. He's gone for three years. He's gone for, Oh, it's been like six years <laughs> and they're still living at home. They're just doing their thing. Um, they're started like working kind of in the town more and like branching off, you know, they've gone to different towns and um selka has gotten news that oh this might we've heard about this person doing these cool things in the east or whatever and hey maybe it's bobo i think maybe we should go find him and cecily's kind of stubborn. obviously she's stubborn so she's not gonna let go of he said he's gonna come back so he's gonna come back like what's not go all off go all all looking for him across the country um, when he's just going to come back. Like, what if he comes back we're not here, you know? Like, he would be crushed. And so, she's very stubborn about it and the others kind of are avoiding talking to her about it and they all decide, hey, we're going to go out and look for him on their own because, like, we're adults now. We can go look for him. So, they all get up and... Oh, I forgot. They talk to her about it, and she's like, I'm going to stay. You guys go, and I'm going to stay, because she's stubborn like that. And that night, their house burns down, and we get to see how cool Cecily is, because she's so cool. (laughs) She punches through the roof of their house. Obviously, it's not like a modern roof, but she still punches through the roof, (laughs) and then she chops a hole through the wall, because she's cool. I love her. She's awesome. Why can't I be that awesome? <laughs> but anyway, she well, you need ends to up your
0: house on fire first, for starters. She
1: ends up saving Silka and by proxy Orion as well, and they all get out relatively unscathed. Orion's the most injured, and she kind of uses this as like her come to come to Jesus moment of like, okay, we do need to leave, and so they all leave, and then the story. Kind of kicks up from there. It's them trying to find Bobo. He's gone off on this adventure, and I mean, we've already gone so far. <laughs> I'm, yeah, thinking, I'm just saying, I'm this thinking is I perfect... just keep up the detail. No, I'm <laughs>
0: saying this is the perfect spot to just omit a lot. <laughs> <laughs> this
1: is the perfect spot to omit a lot. But should I omit a lot? <laughs> I still need to talk about Tate. I haven't even mentioned Tate. Yeah, I know. So, spoilers. <laughs> There's not just one perspective character in this book. Um I didn't want it to have it be that. I wanted it to feel a little bigger, right? I wanted it to be a little bit epic, you know. I wouldn't say it's quite epic fantasy. Um it's got a lot of familiar tropes. It doesn't do a lot of original things, like super original stuff, like super original There is no fantasy races. <laughs> you know, you know, like you don't have to learn about the world, really. You can kind of infer a lot of things. So I wouldn't call it epic, but I did want it to have a bit more of that scope. So I came up with four other characters, and here's going back to the original idea I had of the original inspiration of Kingdom Hearts. It was going to be these four were going to be trained by Bobo who's this immortal guy. So he knows a lot and they're going to become masters and then they're all going to in turn have their own apprentices. Right. Mm -hmm. I think I mentioned that to you originally and it's very much gone away from that. Honestly, only, only Selka still has like a master apprentice relationship with her, the person she shares the book with. But even then it's, more of like a mother-daughter relationship (laughs) because selka's team the team of mom essentially she's definitely a soccer mom (laughs) definitely a soccer mom she but the other character in this story is tate who is a member of a family that's like a dynasty family of hunters That's the weirdest way I've ever formed a sentence. Think like Duck Dynasty. (laughs) (laughs) Essentially. But like way more intense and less Christian. (laughs) And very...
0: Less redneck.
1: Less redneck. Somehow. Because they do just live in the woods and hunt things. They're... Yeah, it's basically Duck Dynasty. (laughs) Where all the males in the family since, you know, great granddad have than hunters but these are not small game hunters these are big game like monster hunters essentially like
0: we ain't talking even moose yeah we're talking bigger
1: yeah so obviously it's a fantasy world so i wanted to chuck it full of giant and monstrous things that can kill you very easily because it makes the world more fun and they do spend a lot of time just traveling through nature Lord of the Rings-esque, like, journey. So I wanted the world to have, like, threats, I guess, for these people.
0: And so this is where we'd like to introduce <laughs> you today, sponsored Monster Hunter World. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. No, we're not sponsored. No, we yeah. will never be sponsored. <laughs> no. Uh,
1: but Tate, he's... um. Fourth, is that how it works? One, two. He's third generation of this, so his grandpa's still alive, and he's like a famous contract hunter. I, I've been trying to, I tried to resist calling them monster hunters in the story, but I guess I could. I just felt weird that they would be like monsters, because monster in my mind conjures up like secrets, almost right. Like it's, like they're not real, essentially in my brain that's the connotation i have with monsters like
0: you're basically in your head the term monster hunter means people basically scamming other people out of and then like planting fake evidence almost
1: i guess i could though because back then people considered like bears and wolves to be monsters or like whales to be monsters just things they don't know as much about I mean, they literally wrote on maps in the old
0: days. They didn't <laughs> know what something was, and it's like, oh, it seems dangerous. Here, there be dragons. Here, there be
1: monsters. But I've been resisting that. But he, there's like a guild of hunters, right? Because their, um, their services are actually very important. Because you know what happened. Like, you can gather the locals to kill like a pack of wolves or something, right? But what do you do when there's a like a giant, rhinoceros dinosaur-looking thing <laughs> tearing up farms? Like the normal people can't take that out; it's just not doable. You need these specialized people, and so they've created like a system so they can, you know, get paid more. Essentially, that's mm-hmm. what the guild is all about. Capitalism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the grandpa is like an important guild member. He's kind of like on the board or whatever. And their dad's like he's gonna take his place, right? It's the legacy thing. So his dad and his grandpa are both like well respected members of this guild who are trusted to do like the most dangerous jobs. And so that's what he's expected of. That's what's expected of him and what's he's all he's expected of his entire life. And he's got I need to... I'm trimming, trimming it down. Because he's got... Lord. You know how much I talked about Cecily. He's got about an equal number of chapters. But I'm going to trim down. Because his stuff is all family drama. Um, his grandpa's... A monster. <laughs> yeah. He's the real monster. He's like the worst kind of person, right? He's so obsessed with his legacy. He's abusive to his grandchildren. And his... And his child, his only child, their dad. I would literally dare compare him to Umbridge. (laughs) Yep, he's that level of, like, awful... Scummy. Scummy. Uh, He physically abuses them as children because they're not good enough, and he verbally abuses them, which leaves longer-lasting trauma than the physical abuse. Like, if you read this and you don't hate him, you need to see a therapist. (laughs) Yeah. So Tate has a younger brother, like a couple years younger. Obviously, he's also part of the legacy. He's also part of the dynasty, so they often are training together. Tate's older, so he's just generally, like, gonna be better. But because of this, like, the younger brothers had to work extra hard to catch up. So they're almost equal in a lot of ways. Tate's, like, stronger and faster. But his younger brother is more skilled. Why am I spacing on his younger brother's name? Seth. Seth. Yes. Oh man, my own story. <laughs> it's been a <laughs> well, while. I'm having to remind <laughs> you about the a a details since I've worked on this. But yeah, so his younger brother Seth. So they have a good relationship as kids. Grandpa comes in and is like pits them against each other. Essentially, he has his own personal training session with them, where the dad knows what's going to happen. Right? It's implied that the dad knows. But he chickens out because he's afraid of his own father, their grandfather. And so he just lets him have his way with these two kids, training them brutally and pitting them against each other as like, oh, only one of you can carry on the dynasty and the other one's going to be like worthless, right? No, you! And so they that kind of sours their relationship and it culminates when their mother dies because it's a Disney movie, apparently. and their dad's obviously going through a hard time she was like the one shield he had from work which he realizes now that he actually hates being a hunter their dad he realizes that he only ever did it because he was afraid and he was good at it it was like the only thing he was good at and now he realizes he doesn't want to do it anymore because now it's just like the worst part of his life and he doesn't even have the respite of a loving wife to go home to anymore and he kind of abandons his kids a little bit because it's it's not i'm not reusing plot points (laughs) i mean it's intentional it's good writing not bad (laughs) (laughs) it's a a comparison between the two not just me parallel it's a parallelism parallelogram yeah so the dad is going through, going through it emotionally, and the grandfather's like comes over because his dad was supposed to do like this big difficult mission that only a few of the hunters can do, right? So it's very important that he meets and does this thing, right? Or he's gonna be out. And the sons, especially the younger son Seth, he's got a bone to pick with the grandfather. Obviously, they both do, but Seth is much angrier than Tate is as a individual so he's got a lot to prove and he goes out on his own and so the dad's like hey tate he's not gonna be able to do this on his own go bring him back and so he goes and he tries to talk seth out of it but seth's not hearing any of it so tate's like well the best thing to do is just to help him out right so seth begrudgingly is like okay fine you can come with but like this is still my kill right when we kill it And I know I named this, but I can't remember what it is. The glottal. The glottal, yes. (laughs) Why do you remember every name (laughs) that I come up with? I'm so bad at naming things. That's why I forget them. But it's basically what I was describing earlier, a giant rhinoceros with, like, a shovel instead of a horn on its face. And it's very big, like it pushes down trees big. And it's been messing with a village lately. And so they're going to go stop that. And they go, and they're fighting it, and things go badly. Because, of course, they do. And Seth gets severely injured. He gets, like, launched across the clearing and ha- breaks his spine on a rock. So he's... You know, your usual kind of day. Completely incapacitated. he's, His legs don't work anymore, like, ever again so um tate has to fight it on his own and he manages to kill it by tricking it over a cliff and it gets like speared on rocks below and so we they they managed to kill it but obviously the cost was very big and they had a bad relationship before but now seth realizes that like what their grandpa said is true about him not ever becoming anything anymore because like how is he supposed to hunt if he can't walk kind of deal and so he's super depressed they go back and Seth kind of hates Tate now and so Tate takes it on himself he's like the families can't handle this right they can't handle mom dying now there's so much hatred between us so he just leaves and he goes to join the guild To, like, make a name for himself. And the grandfather's speaking at the guild. Because he's, like, one of the heads of the guild. And he's like, you know what? Screw that. I'm not becoming part of your stupid guild. So he, like, makes a big scene. And he calls out the grandfather for being awful to his family. And he has a one-on-one confrontation afterwards with the grandfather. Where he's like, I'm gonna become... Like, he's kind of... He doesn't say, like, oh... I'm going to never hunt. I'm never going to be like you kind of deal. I wanted to try something different of, he's like, I'm going to play your game so hard <laughs> that you're going to hate me for it. So his plan I is, I want to be the very <laughs> best Like no one ever he's wants. He's going to get his inner Ash Ketchum on. And he's going to become so great that if anyone ever talks about the grandfather, it'll only be in respect to, oh, that was, it was Tate's grandfather, right? That's who it was. And he's going to stain his legacy. He's going to erase his grandfather's legacy by dissociating from his grandfather, but also by becoming the greatest hunter to ever do it, you know? And so he goes off on his own, and without guild support, he basically is living paycheck to paycheck, working way too hard, trying to make a name for himself, but he can't. He doesn't have the bargaining power of the guild, right? Like. He doesn't have the trustworthiness of them, so he goes to a local magistrate, and he's like, hey, I'll deal with your monster problem. And they're like, oh, cool, but why are you coming us to directly? Why are you not bargaining through the guild? And he has to be like, oh, I'm not in the guild. And they're like, why are you not in the guild? <laughs> and so he's got to do jobs for less. He's got to do more jobs to just make it. And he's not really trying to like carve out a life at this point. He's trying to make a name for himself. So he's taking on increasingly dangerous jobs. He's kind of wrecking himself. And he hears tales on the wind of something called the Noctemnia. (laughs) And he thinks, wow, this thing wipes out entire villages. Nobody knows anything about it. Nobody knows. No one's ever seen it and lived. Like these are all the stories that are getting told about it. So like this will be the thing, right? This like big thing. This will be it. So he starts looking for information on it, and he ends up in Rillan, which is one of the bigger cities on the continent. I right, we never got to Rillan. No, we didn't, is Cecily. So <laughs> going back, they're going on a journey. They have misadventures. This is Cecily and Sibs. They run into a little girl. and They help find, get her back home. They run into a cult. It's important, but not that important to the overall story. (laughs) You get
0: details,
1: but the
0: explanations of what he's saying already will give you those details. Yeah.
1: Basically, this cult worships the Noctemnia as, like, you know, an agent of, like, perfect order and peace. Because what the Noctemnia does is it completely kind of clouds all of your senses, so it makes everything gets dark and then you can't hear and then you can't feel and then it feels like when you're close enough to the noctemia you kind of get lost in the sense of nothingness like you're just floating in nothingness and you have no senses and it, like an out-of-body experience kind of like it's not like a like a bad thing necessarily according to this cult, which they're a cult. (laughs) They're totally a cult. (laughs) I would say religion, but they're just a cult. And they, since this, the magic system, right, that's kind of where the Noctemnia gets its powers based off of, which I'll get into more later. But, they also can kind of channel this power, a few of these like specific people can, so they can kind of induce this effect on people, if they can get close enough to the Noctemnia, they can like channel its powers to induce this effect. And so they're trying to like reach heaven essentially of becoming this comatose state. That's what they're all trying to do is basically become comatose, which is relatable. <laughs> <laughs> I
0: mean, isn't that the whole point of like, what is it? I don't want to say it's Buddhism. What, reaching nirvana?
1: <laughs> yeah, nirvana is different though, then. I, like, I know. It's... The absence of feeling. And
0: Nirvana's, similar idea though. Uh,
1: no, it's not. Yeah, I feel like it is. Nirvana's like reincarnation though. You have to live your best life, and then you get reincarnated, and you I have to live a just better as, life. Just
0: like you finally reach the perfect mental state or something. I I don't know.
1: I don't. Know Neither either. of us know anything about this. All right, let's move on. Yeah, <laughs> moving on <laughs> from <laughs> moving on. But. Yeah, they're trying to find the Noctemnia is like their end goal, so they can enter this perfect state forever. And so, Cecily has interactions with them, and she doesn't entirely hate what they're talking about or like hate the feeling that they induce during one of their rituals. And she goes alone. Oh, no, this part wasn't in the first draft. <laughs> oh yes, this is edited things. Yes, this is edit stuff this is the second draft stuff first draft did not have they had the cult as like a cameo appearance as like ooh, it would be cool to have like a religion in my world and then i never touched it again so i, I added them in more but they have that going on and this is kind of her first interaction with like what the noctemnia is because she's nearby to it and then they go and before they get To this villain city they have one more interaction with um the noctemnia itself she kind of has this like they go to another village and they're all scared because they have heard it's in the area and by now the four siblings have kind of figured out this is probably what bobo was looking for because he mentioned he had to go say help a bunch of people and they're like hey maybe this is what he was talking about or that's what cecily thinks The others are like, let's just find him and ask. But she's like, I think if we follow this lead, then maybe... She starts fixating on it. She's like, this will lead us to him. And so they all go, and they meet it, and they're kind of like, this is kind of cool, right? Like, it's not anything like any animal we've ever seen before. It's like this big black mass, and they can... Cecily, at least, can kind of communicate with it, because she's had these interactions with the cult and she kind of is familiar with it the others just enter the state but she has like a kind of affinity for it so she can kind of communicate while she's in this state and the, she's talking to it and it's so confused and it has no idea what's going on and then they freak out and they leave and she's like hey i think it isn't evil and They're like it destroys villages it's evil <laughs> Yeah, uh, this is more like the first <laughs> the first time you told me about yeah. it. Th- this everything you're saying right now was not in the first draft. <laughs> yeah. And why it destroys villages is because every once in a while it enters a a maddened state where it loses all control and just wipes something off the map, whatever is nearby. I relate. <laughs> yeah, but they don't know that yet. They don't. Nobody knows that because no one interacts with it and thinks it's good or is trying to find out but now cecily is usually you don't try to talk to what's going to eat you yeah so they get to Rillen and they're looking around it's a big city they're like wow this is crazy like this many people live here and they are trying to ask around about bobo and everyone's like bobo who <laughs> <laughs> who the heck is that and they meet one lady, and she's like, I don't know. I mean, I know a lot of people. Like, you could ask, but I'm, do you know who knows the most people? The city's magistrate, Darius. He knows, a lot. He knows everybody. He's usually gone, but he's here right now. You can go ask him. He lives in that big house on the hill. And they're like, oh, cool, someone who knows everybody. <laughs> so they go to the big house, and they knock on the door, and they go in. And there's like a servant or something. And he's like, oh, I'll well, bring the master right away. Is Be- his name Leeds or Leeds? It, it was Leeds. How the, How do you remember that? <laughs> because yeah. I could
0: never remember.
1: How, I was always yeah. like, which way is it pronounced? Leeds or Leeds? <laughs> yep, it's Leeds. And he brings up the master. And lo and behold, it's Bobo. And they're like, oh, it's you. And he's like, oh, it's you. <laughs> so they have a family reunion. Awkward. And it is Awkward. And they ask him a ton of questions that he answers, which I've already talked about most of them, so I'm not gonna get into that. But he's like, "Hey, I'm glad you guys are here. Um, sorry, things kind of got. It didn't turn out as nicely as I thought. I've been chasing leads. For... <laughs> Why would you chase serpent I've been chasing leads about this Noctemnia thing forever." I can't seem to pin it down, it always slips away from me. And so they're of course like, oh, we'll help. And he kind of isn't sure he wants to include them at first. Which this is like a big turning point for him as a character, which you never you don't even realize. He has like an internal struggle, but you're thinking, Oh, he's just a good dad He just doesn't want them to be involved because it's dangerous and he loves them and there's kids. But this is the point where he kind of accepts that, like, he's been trying to keep them out of the conflict because they're parts of his visions, too, of the end of the world. He sees them included, and he realizes that they might be, like, they can help, right? But he's like, I don't want to use them to help me fight my battles. I can fight my own battles. But his visions are getting stronger and he realizes that it might be the only way is to include his kids in this conflict so he kind of regretted he begrudgingly is like okay you guys can help and he tells them a little bit more and they live in rillen for a couple years they kind of get established there they make friends and they yeah like the things they're doing and Bobo will leave every once in a while for a few months, and sometimes he'll take one or two of them with him to go chase down like information, right? Because Rillin's a big city, so a lot of people travel through, so he's often out and about in town trying to learn more about this, trying to formulate a strategy. And one day, or one night, rather, he realizes that they're out of milk. <laughs> <laughs> and <laughs> this is another um old part of the story that has been I'm thinking it's just going to go bye-bye essentially of their midnight visits. Right. So in Kingdom Hearts the foretellers all are given like one-on-one they all have one-on-one talks with the master of masters before he leaves where he says, hey, this is your job in the crew. Like, you're the leader, or you're the second-in-command, or you're, like, the judge when people have conflict, or you're trying to find the traitor. Or there was one more role. Oh, one of them is, like, you're going to pick up the pieces after the end of the world. (laughs) And then (laughs) there's a sixth one that I said there was five, and then there's the sixth one. His job is to be, like, the eyes, right? This is completely unimportant, but I think it's a cool world building <laughs> thing that Kingdom Hearts does. Where the master of masters his keyblade has an eyeball in it, as like part of its design. And he tells this last apprentice, Hey, this is my eye put on the keyblade. Like it's my actual eyeball. And so I'm gonna give you this blade and you're gonna kind of be like a passive observer to this whole conflict. Because the only reason he knows everything that happened is because he saw it all with his eyeball. So he has to have his apprentice go and be a passive observer of the whole conflict. It's kind of like a circular where, you know, he's seen the conflict and there's like a funny line where the apprentice is like, well, how will I know that I succeeded? And he's like, well, I already know you succeeded because I already wrote this book about the future. (laughs) So (laughs) we know that for a fact that you succeeded in your mission of observing everything. And I just thought that was a cool bit of world building that I included as an extra tangent to the current tangent I was on. But he basically on. created a bootstrap paradox? He did, in fact, create a paradox. Which, you know, you can do that too when you're the master of masters. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, originally, I was going to kind of have them all have these roles as, like, you know, Cecily's the leader. And, you know, Annabelle's, like, the judge or whatever. And Orion's looking for a traitor. I even had the Traitor Paul on but I got rid of that because I also got rid of there being eight characters all together at the same time they all have like their partner character right but by the time the second book rolls around Cecily and Tate are kind of doing their own thing and so instead of all eight characters being at the same time or even being in the same millennium (laughs) they're all spread out to be Included in the part of the character, the um, sibling, whose life they are corresponding to. Right? So instead of there being eight characters, which I thought would be easier to include like a traitor if there's eight characters. Now there's only five in the first book and only four in the second book. So I got rid of the traitor thing and it was just ripped straight from Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> <laughs> But I also got... I think I'm just not going to get... I'm going to get rid of their roles. I think they're still going to have midnight visits. And I think he's still going to tell Cecily, like, hey, you're the leader, right? Because that's part of her her arc. And definitely still going to tell (laughs) Orion, (laughs) oh, that poor boy. (laughs) He's not happy. Not having a good time. But essentially, he visits them all in the middle of the night talks to them like, hey, I'm gonna go and I'm not gonna be back. Like, this time he tells them I'm not gonna be back, so you guys are gonna have to come find me again. But I know you can do it. Thumbs up. I'm a good dad. Leaves them in the middle of the night. The next day they all talk about it, and they're all kind of like, talking about what he said to them during the night or not. Because I still like that idea of them keeping secrets from each other. Obviously, Orion's keeping Mm -hmm. his Uh secret, just like we're keeping the secret of what his secret is. (laughs) Ooh. That'll be spoiled later. That'll be spoiled later. I definitely went off track. <laughs> from my notes.
0: I, I noticed you hadn't touched that paper the entire time. Kobe.
1: <laughs> Dang it. Joke's on you. It's full anyway. Uh, anyway, notes. We're, we're off track. But he leaves. They have another conflict of like oh you know what are we gonna do and how are we gonna do it this time though they have more of a consensus because obviously they're gonna do what he said so they're gonna go out and find him again it's like why didn't he just take us with him kind of and it's because he's horrible <laughs> this is the answer <laughs> to that but they're kind of gearing up to leave and cecily meets tate and They both realize kind of just through chatting that they're both after this Noctemnia. And they might have information they can share with each other. But Cecily's still kind of like, we can find a peaceful resolution with it, right? Like, it can be reasoned with. She's talked with it. It was confused, but she thinks it can be reasoned with. And Tate's obviously got a one-track mind (laughs) where he's going to kill it. That's all you can think about. So she's hesitant to trust him but he kind of bargains all this knowledge he has about it that he's gathered from traveling around, right? Looking for it. He bargains that as, like, you bring me with you because he can tell that she knows something and, like, she lets slip that She also has, like... or She doesn't necessarily know a lot about it, but her di- her dad does. And they're going to go find him, and he's going to find it kind of deal. So that's what Tate's thinking. So he bargains kind of his knowledge and his... Talents as like a outdoorsy person, hunter. With this, of like you bring me along so I can kill it, you know. So they have conflicting motivations, and they don't really trust each other at first. But they actually get along really well, which I I wanted to let them get along nicely. <laughs> Not all of the original like the pairings of the books are gonna get along well, especially at first. But they. They get, along. they get along all right. They do have a wrestling oh. match, which <laughs> was fun to write, but I don't know if it'll be included <laughs> in the final story. But essentially, they do more travel log. This time, it's a lot shorter. They get attacked by bandits at some point, which, honestly, I'm super proud of that action sequence, but I think it doesn't fit at all, so it's probably going to get axed because <laughs> it adds nothing. But they find, like, the ruins of this place. And they start seeing all these signs of people recently having been there. And, um, Cecily recognizes... And Tate, actually. He had an interaction with the cult, too. But they both recognize, like... There's a ton of sets of, like, robes and clothing just sitting in this room. And... It's part of the Awkward. ritual. We, gotta run. A <laughs> we got a lot of streakers around. We got a lot of streakers, and the cult found this place before they did, and they've all gone like gone into the depths and lost their minds essentially because the noctemnia is there. And they, um, they get there and Bobo's not there, and they're like, "Is this the right place?" So they start exploring the ruins a bit, and it's like all kind of submerged. It's like a submerged. Church type thing, but it's got a lot of winding passageways, and not like underwater, like underground. Yes, underground, submerged, subterranean. Is that a word? <laughs> Is that a word? Subterranean. Yeah, that's a word. Nice. Anyway, it's underground, and I just think it looks cool because I actually know what it looks like in my brain, <laughs> but. Hopefully the descriptions get through. But it's like a cathedral, essentially, underground, with like a labyrinth part with lots of all these confusing halls, especially confusing in the pitch dark in this underground cavern that's got some corridors are blocked by rubble. And not only is it dark, it's like extreme dark (laughs) because the Noctemnia is there, so their lights aren't going as far and at some point, the lights just get eaten entirely by the darkness. Nice no snack. And they get lost in the darkness. And Cecily has another confrontation with the Noctemnia, where she's trying to communicate with it even more. And they get out, and then finally Bobo shows up. He was already there. He was also exploring the tunnel separate from them, and he's like. The most distant he's ever been. They're, like, trying to talk to him. Cecily's trying to talk to him. And he's, like, refusing to explain anything to her. He's just like, we just need to kill it. That's all. And he won't listen to anything she says. Like, her siblings at least listen to her mad ramblings about, oh, we can talk to it. You know? They're like, you're wrong, but, like, I'll listen to you. But he just shuts her down completely in kind of, like, a cold way almost. She's like, okay, this isn't the man that I lived with my entire life, he's kind of being a meanie stinky head. (laughs) (laughs) So she goes off on her own into the tunnels to try and talk to it again. And she finds it, or finds, like, a place close enough that she can talk to it. And things do not go well because it's one of those nights where it goes insane. And so it freaks out and starts like wrecking up the inside of this underground building and there's this cool scene in this in like the cathedral chamber like the big room right it's all underground but like there's cracks of light coming through the ceiling and they escape through the ceiling because like the roof shatters when the whole building is shaking and then Noctemnia takes like the form of this beast And so there's, like, actually, finally a physical thing they can see, really. And they bust out, and they race through the forest, and it's chasing her because it's, like, mad at her. And they light the forest on fire as, like, you know, the light will protect us from its darkness, which kind of works. But also they lit the forest on fire, (laughs) and that's bad because they're in the middle of the forest. So they have to go, to escape it, they have to go back in the ruins. So, like, oh, we're screwed. And they're all kind of split up at this point. They're, like, meeting each other in the darkness. And the Noctemnian returns, and it's kind of cooled off a little bit. And Cecily's, like, less trusting of it, but she still wants to try, at least with all of them. Like, she wants Bobo to try, especially, because she thinks he's way smarter than me. He could do it, right? He could convince it that we're not bad and convince it to stop hurting people. And they kind of have fight which i have like an actual fight with it which doesn't really make sense as like a, the finale you know the yeah. finale i have currently is really bad <laughs> and just randomly through them i've added teleportation it was bad <laughs> i'm willing to admit my faults but i've changed it around so they still have like a confrontation but it's more of the same like we're stuck in darkness and we're like they're all like clasping hands together cuz it's like a family moment, you know. And they Kumbaya. they don't get lost in the darkness if they can like feel each other. And she tries to convince Bobo to like not fight it and to communicate. And she's trying to talk to it and it's over the time she's talked to it, every time she talks to it, it kind of gets smarter and smarter and it l- eases up on them, right? They they can't kill it. They can't fight it. But she convinces it to ease up on them a little bit. And like the room appears a little bit more, it's like the crypt of the church, the cathedral they're in. It's got all these cool drawings on the walls of the fight with the Brugada. It's like an old church of people who used to worship the Brugada, right? So again, with the cult coming in, full circle, coming full circle, yeah. And she's like, "Hey, I convinced to stop," and all her siblings are like, "Whoa, that's crazy." and Tate's like, whoa, that's crazy Like, you were right, <laughs> maybe I shouldn't kill it, or like, maybe there's a different way to defeat it, but Bobo does not share in their surprise he's like, oh, a chance so he uses his special Brugada powers that he's been working on because he still has the shard, he has like the access to its powers, kind of but he's not good at controlling them, so he's been working on it, and then he Kami has it and he <laughs> yeets it into oblivion so he basically he kills it he doesn't actually kill it because obviously he can't die but he destroys it essentially and then he leaves he sees like he leaves for good this time he doesn't say anything this time he just leaves because he realizes he kind of messed up and he sees how cecily in particular was looking at him And it's done. It's dead. And they get out. And they're like, well, that was horrible. And Cecily's the one. He leaves in like an ambiguous way, right? He doesn't say like, okay, I'm leaving you kids now. He kind of sneaks out, essentially. While he's fighting it. So only Cecily is kind of, not necessarily... (laughs) <laughs> Who are you laughing?
0: <laughs> I just had this image when you said he just kind of sneaks out like sneaks away. I just had this image of them all sitting around and then there's just a fridge in the background you see him pulling out an empty jug. He's like, oh, we need more milk. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah. He doesn't like sneak away. It's just ambiguous of did he survive the fight or not, right? Like they know the Brigada, or not the they know the Noctemnia is gone because everything's Like they can see and hear again, their senses are returning. But they look for him and they can't find him. And Cecily's kind of finally given up. She's like, okay, he's keeps leaving, right? Like he's not dead. Like he can't she doesn't believe for a second that he died. Which she kind of wants them to think. And she just kind of accepts that she's done with him. And the others aren't as willing to accept that. And that's kind of the end of the book is they have an argument about him. And she kind of, at the time, she sort of lets them think that she got convinced. Like, she's like, he left us again. Like, what, stop looking for him. We don't need him anymore kind of deal. She's learned to accept it. She's kind of been treated poor, unfairly. They've all been treated unfairly by who was supposed to be their father figure. And Tate's kind of on her side. He was always kind of like, this guy's a tool. <laughs> but he never voiced it, because they would always all vehemently defend, oh no, Bob was great, you just don't know him very well. But Tate's always been like, no, no.
0: This guy's not a very good dad. Yeah, like,
1: I had a good dad, but Like, how, how much he's... milk do you go through? <laughs> how much milk can one man drink? <laughs> So he, um, she's kind of, they get in a big argument about it, particularly her and Selka get in a big argument. And Orion's secretly on her side because he already knows that <laughs> Bobo's a huge tool. <laughs> he knows already. Um, and he's, we got it, he's got it the worst from their dad, but... She kind of is like, okay, well, we'll keep looking for him, but I don't think we're going to find him. And then the book ends, and they obviously don't find him. And in the next book, you know, Cecily's kind of doubled down on her, like I'm done looking for him kind of thing. I'm going to start doing my own thing. So she and Tate go off and do their own thing, which mainly is helping to spread Tate's legacy and build him up as, like, the hunter, right? She kind of is like, well, I'm not going to... I can't stick around with you guys if you're just going to keep looking for him. You know? I'm going to stick with the
0: man, the
1: myth, the (laughs) legend.
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Just (laughs) looking at the way for it. Oh, man. I spiked that sound right there.
1: Uh, But, obviously, like, this is the first, it's kind of... I don't want to toot my own horn too much, but it's been implied that this is going to happen at some point where they're going to stop giving in to Cecily's demands of like, I'm going to do my thing and you guys are going to do it too. Or I guess this is goodbye. And they finally say, well, this is goodbye then because I'm not, you like, we're not giving up on him. Mostly Selka is the one primarily who hasn't given up on him so then she's continuing the search in her book and that's where the series continues so that's the story (laughs) i would say we're done but there's been a few things that i've skipped over entirely that i want to touch on Uh, so it won't be as much it's been an
0: hour and a half
1: (laughs) it'll be under two hours don't worry about it you have i've been talking don't this is not know. a big deal for you. <laughs> we do this all the time.
0: <laughs> it's just the fact that I'm sitting without any back support. Ah, <laughs> oh, okay. I'll, I'll
1: trade seats. I, I offered. <laughs> I know you <laughs> I did. I offered. <laughs> I didn't think it was going to take this long. <laughs> but there's a few changes that I had to make along the way. And I think it'll be fun to document those. Mostly so I can come back and listen and see all the new things I changed on my third draft. But the biggest things I changed were I always intended there to be magic in the book. Like, obviously, the Noctemnia and the Brugada are using magic. Like, we would say it's magic, right? And I included a few parts of the story that were supposed to be solved with magic once i came up with a cool magic system to include i just never had one and i spent a lot of time thinking about it and i couldn't come up with a good one and so i just wrote the whole book (laughs) without magic in it at all (laughs) and i didn't even i didn't even realize until i was almost done i was like this was supposed to have magic in it and so i left it for a few months And one day I was working, working at UPS, carton boxes, and I had like the largest epiphany of my life. I had so many good ideas that shift and I had a (laughs) 10 minute break. So I grabbed my phone. I ran up to the bathroom because I had to pee and I (laughs) furiously typed out like, two pages on my phone of notes, Dang, awesome. so I wouldn't remember, I wouldn't forget, and I ended up not forgetting, because I was so desperate not to forget all the good ideas I had, had. But, but the magic system was one of them, and to keep it brief, because I still am fleshing it out, um, there's a bunch of different powers based on, like, um, that are they're represented by wavelengths of light, right? So one of the powers you shine red when you're using it, and they're all based on different kinds of connection. So red, I don't have the notes for this, so I'm just doing it off the top of my head. But red is human-human connections, and it's like a healing power, right? So that if you have strong connections to people, and then you can have like oh, this I'm not gonna be red there. <laughs> healing magic, and then there's orange is human-animal connections. So a lot of the... and it, it, What that does is heightens your senses. So a lot of the hunters, including Tate... In fact, all of them, pretty much. There's like a special guild building where they are given companion animals, usually birds, which we'll get to later, that helps them heighten their senses so they are better hunters. And then there's yellow, which is animal-animal, and it heightens physicality. So early in the story, they are hunting a pack of they're hunting a pack of animals essentially what they they think it's just one but it's actually a pack so they all are glowing yellow when they're fighting these animals and they're like extra strong, extra fast and extra dangerous and then there's green which is human plant connections which gives them basically like they're, they have they can help the plants grow faster and they can like talk to plants and you they they can talk to animals if they have the human animal connection. And then I can't remember, um, what the plant animal and the plant plant connections, which is which, but they also have those and they also have their own special powers. And then there's like kind of an, a state beyond this human plant animal dichotomy or not a trichotomy. (laughs) Yeah. Where I just defined it as like an elder, I guess. But it's just where a being gets old enough that it kind of becomes all three. So they can kind of pick and choose which power they use. Which is pretty cool, I think. But as you move closer, like the shorter wavelengths, you know, in a rainbow. Violet's shorter wavelength. Blah, 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 science.
0: Gamma. Yeah, as
1: the bonding gets more and more complex so these higher level bonds they extend your life by more and more years right so if you have strong red connections then you might live to be like 105 you might live to be like a pretty old person or if you have a human animal connection you might be like 115 but like these plants they live tens of thousands of years the ones with these plant to plant connections And I also got to include cool world building things because there's lots of like blue bioluminescent light in all these forests because the forests are so bonded together from having spent so long together that it's not bioluminescence. They're just glowing because they're magical. (laughs) Yeet. Which is always fun. That's like old growth forests are like that. The younger forests aren't like that because they take longer to form these connections. What about the ones that just burn themselves down every <laughs> so often? <laughs> Those ones definitely don't form connections. <laughs> but um, after something becomes old enough, it becomes like one of these elders, right? And it develops its own personality. Like the plants, they can have like a personality. And the right kind of person can connect with that. And kind of channel that power. But it takes a truly quirky, we'll say, individual. Cough, Annabelle, cough. (laughs) (laughs) To form these kinds of connections. So that's kind of how it works. And what it actually is, is a corruption of the actual magic system. Which kind of does the opposite of all these things. And that's the magic that this chaos entity uses. Or not chaos, this order entity uses To combat chaos in the universe so order can destroy things right oh completely forgot to mention the last um possible formation of this corrupt corrupted magic system is two elders bonding together so two entities that have been alive so long that they have like these distinctive magical personalities if they bond together then they can use their combined power to create matter. <laughs> Sun, again. Yeah, so what? Order, Order's job, essentially, is to find planets where the magic has corrupted and to devour them, essentially. Because this is my science nerd background showing a little bit, but it's he's based off the idea of entropy and the heat death of the universe which i'm going to summarize is how most like astrophysicists i don't know the particular branch of science that would deal with this talk about how the universe is going to end it's called the heat death of the universe and you think like oh big fiery explosion what it actually is is a cold very slow death of the universe where everything gets separated from each other because everything's spreading apart so everything gets so far separated that no new interactions can happen and all the planets decay into molecules and all the heat all the energy in the universe gets equally distributed until there's basically no energy everywhere because there's a very small amount of energy in the universe based on how much space there is because there's theoretically infinite space in the universe i feel like you just described me starting and ending
0: every day just, <laughs> just slowly <laughs> going you know, degrading until there's
1: no energy left yeah and that's how they think the universe is gonna end it's just everything that will slowly disintegrate into tiny atoms that never interact ever so you can't form new life if there's no interactions between molecules so then it'll just be blanket that for eternity right See. So I thought how would the universe like it would have to create its own like kind of champion to combat that. So that's what order is all about is combating entropy. That's what the idea is of entropy is entropy is kind of hard to define. It's well you're not going <laughs> you're not going to be able to understand just Google reading it, the Google definition. Definition. But basically it's kind of like a energy property and there's rules of entropy in thermodynamics where entropy can never be decreased. When whenever, whenever anything interacts with anything else, entropy is part of the equation.
0: I read like the first three <laughs> words. Yeah. I'm like, I know Star Set talks about it a lot. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I'm just going to read this for you. According to the physics definition... A thermodynamic quantity representing an, the unavailability of a system's thermal energy for conversion into mechanical work often interpreted, interpreted, interpreted as the degree of disorder or randomness in the system. Yeah, so that's a good <laughs> definition. Son of a gun. That last part's
1: probably the easiest definition for like yeah. a regular person. Not and then a the second. To well, understand. The second
0: definition is much simpler. <laughs> Lack of order or predictability, gradual decline into disorder. Yep, there you go. <laughs>
1: so entropy can never be decreased in our universe at least that we know of so every interaction that happens um there's always going to be some extra entropy byproduct so you pick up a glass and your energy's not converting perfectly to mechanical energy we have a formula for entropy right here (laughs) there's a lot of formulas (laughs) entropy equals the boltzmann constant times the natural log of the number of microscopic configurations so there you go <laughs> beautiful <laughs> yeah early bird spoilers podcast the cross-section between astrophysics and our random stories we came up with <laughs> <laughs> uh. I said under two hours. I'm going to be under two hours. subside <laughs> so sidetracking me with physics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But anyway, anyway, counter, entropy <laughs> ding, 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 ding. gets combated because order in this universe can eradicate, he can erase matter, right? Which, you know, matter cannot be created or destroyed. But that doesn't in this, apply to fantasy. In this fantasy, uh, the corrupt form of the magic can create matter and the actual magic can destroy matter so he um order they go around the universe and they find planets where the magic's corrupted and they destroy them or they erase them essentially and that's just how it goes like that's not evil that's not bad they're working on keeping a bigger system intact. They're just squashing out ants from their garden, essentially. And so, obviously, the magic has corrupted on this planet, which is why they can use it. And how Order, they're all powerful, essentially, but they're still just one being for a whole universe. They're big, they still gotta travel, and they still gotta find which planets need erasing which solar systems need cleansing by destruction so that's what all the minions are for they go to the planet and they kind of try and knock the whatever um sentient life is back to the stone age so they don't have the ability to form these bonds these elder elder bonds that will be able to have them create matter because that's like, there could be nothing more chaotic than an unquantified entity that you know nothing about with the power to create matter at will. <laughs> so that's what he's trying oh, kind of sounds like
0: Astaroth. Astaroth, yeah. I Not like I, I the remember. original Celtic Astaroth. I mean, like, tapestry Astaroth. Yeah. We'll get into that another
1: day, probably. <laughs> Possibly. I remember so little about that series. <laughs> I've purged it from my brain almost entirely. I probably remember more than I think I do. But yeah, that's the magic system. It's pretty ill-defined because I kind of want it to be a little bit softer. Um, that's soft and hard magic systems as outlined in 10,000 YouTube videos. You can go watch if you <laughs> somehow don't know what that means. I want mine to be a little bit softer of like, Oh, it has all these cool effects, but we don't really know why it works. So that was one issue that I fixed, I tried to fix. I've already included um, multiple, three scenes where the magic gets used from both characters' perspectives. That's three total, not three each, Mm -hmm. in my rewrite. And I'm going to have one more, at the very least... And the other big issue was my world building was so boring. <laughs> I <laughs> bring it. <laughs> always want I I just want interesting world for things to happen. And on my first write, I think it was just to keep things simple, but I completely ignored everything and I wrote the most bland and generic fantasy world possible where every town is like a nice little German town <laughs> with thatched roofs. And they travel across open plains or through pine forests like it's a Lord of the Rings montage. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, I realized that's so boring and I don't want to do that. I want interesting architecture and interesting cities for them to go to. So I started, the first thing I did was I drew that picture of rillen which, to describe it, I just threw a bunch of different building styles for architecture together. Like It's got these, you know, like, a Asian, Eastern Asian, Southeast Asian style roofing. But then it's got columns, too. Like, Roman columns. And, I, I, you know, that's not definite. I just wanted something interesting. But the city itself of Rillin was originally just supposed to be big medieval city. But now I've made it into, like, these big rings that are like walled rings that are terraced up higher and higher and there's like a big tree there was always a big tree in the city but it's like it's defining feature is this giant blackened tree that's like been petrified essentially that was part of the conflict with the brugada all those years ago it got like petrified when it was killed but the tree it's petrified but it's still growing it always is growing so it's very big by now and I'm like, hey, this city's way cooler. What else can I do to the world? So I didn't even, I, honestly, I didn't even wanna try every, anything like too crazy. So I thought, I like the parts where they're in forests more. So I'm just gonna have the whole world be kind of covered in trees. It's like most of the world is covered in trees. There aren't many of these like plains. And there aren't as many as I was originally imagining. And then I thought, hey, I'll make each forest they go through, like, unique. It'll be, this one will be kind of like a, like a quake, Quakey's forest. Quakey's? Quakey, Quaking Aspen, that's what they're called. Oh. They're just called Quakey's, where I live, though, so. Where you live, too. I Eric. have never heard <laughs> anyone <laughs> You've never say heard someone quakeys. call them
0: quakies.
1: No. Oh. But they're they just... They call them
0: Aspens, <laughs> if they ever refer to it. Yeah, they're
1: just... Um, thinner trees, so in forests with them, like you can actually see through stuff. But then there's like you know, the the um, old growth forest, like I was talking about before, where you can't see everything, and you know, all the trees are thicker, and it's like, glowing, and it's super dark because the canopy is super thick but it's glowing yeah and then there's another forest with all these young trees that are gray and they're like the air is dusty and they're super flammable and they the forest burns down frequently by design by design fun world building's fun and so i just tried to introduce way more unique set places for things to happen and i think i did a good job and that's it. That's all I got. Oh wow! An hour, forty-seven <laughs> minutes, and forty-two seconds later. If I had stayed focused and followed my notes, it probably would have been like twenty minutes shorter. But you know, it's not a big deal. All right, now who's ready for the nightmare that's gonna be <laughs> next
0: episode? Yeah. That that means it's gonna be me, and I'm not like him. I I don't write notes. <laughs> i am going to go completely off memory and it's gonna be even better because i have not recounted the story i'm gonna tell for who knows how long in any amount of detail
1: it's been you've done it at least twice for
0: me i'm literally probably going to make up so many things as i retell it this next time
1: oh man i was trying to include you a little bit but i don't think i did (laughs) it was basically just me talking so, I'm gonna leave the floor to you for the next episode, unless okay. you want me, unless you want me to talk. No, no, no. You, wait right now, or oh yeah, well, I mean definitely should make it a different episode. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean. All right. Anyway, that was um the ones, the one who does not die. I was about to say, are you ever gonna drop the title? The first? title, yes. I think I said it at the beginning. Uh, One more fun fact Mm. about the title. I suck at titles, and I just threw that in there as like a kind of a descriptor, mostly, of like, this is what this story is, so I could find it in Google Docs easier, and I never thought it would be the actual title, but since it's been the title so long, I've gotten used to it, and honestly, with the changes I've made, it just makes way more sense that that's what the title would be, so I think it's going to stay. Cool. It's kind of... Feels corny to me, but everything I write feels corny to me. So it'll, it's probably fine. <laughs> the Money Does Not Die. That's my one book I've actually written. The second book I ever attempted to write. And I'm going to write the second one. If I meet my current plans, if I want to write a book a year, then currently it I've planned to write it not this year, but next year. The second one. And so hey. fun stuff. And then, I guess, next episode,
0: you get to look forward to The War for Venadria.
1: The War for Venadria. I have mentioned before that the first time this was told to me, it took over six hours. So, <laughs> buckle in.
0: Oh, I, I promise it will not take that long this time. <laughs> I I literally will not be able to recall the amount of detail <laughs> I put into that first explanation. Like I said, this is the first story I ever came up with. And it has been literal years since I have told it to someone.
1: So, uh, yeah. Hopefully we'll just include the most important parts. Hopefully. Yeah. All right. Anyway, yeah,
0: we, we got to end this. Like, this is literally already almost twice the length <laughs> of the other episodes.
1: It's fine. It's okay. They're all going to be like this. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is why we need our other topics to keep them short every have yeah. nice palate cleansers every once in a while I, then maybe that's what we should do it's like
0: we have I, 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 barring the first two episodes it's like you go i go we have an intermission you go i go we have intermission. an intermission we do need an intermission all right yeah all right well thank you everybody for listening there's no one who's made it this <laughs> there's not a single person <laughs> oh yeah if you're here then wake up <laughs> <laughs> okay um wow. yeah okay i'm gonna stop before we uh cause more damage all right uh good uh, goodbye everybody where the flip is my mouse okay peace out